It's been about eight months since we've seen Conor McGregor fight. And it was in a boxing ring, not a UFC cage. But after what happened yesterday, I think I know exactly who Conor is going to be facing next. Baker Mayfield is probably the most polarizing player in the upcoming NFL draft. And he's had a strong comparison to Johnny Manziel throughout almost the entire process. But... I'm going to explain why I think Johnny Manziel was the better prospect coming out of college. I'm also going to be discussing the perennial ace seed in the East every single season, the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm going to talk about why big changes need to be made if they ever want to be anything but an ace seed. This is the Sports Rant with Duke Coughlin. Where the fuck has Conor McGregor been? I mean, completely honest, guys. Where the fuck has Conor McGregor been? Over the course of the last eight months, ever since that loss to Floyd Mayweather, nobody has really heard from the guy due to his falling off the perennial cliff. You know, he might shoot a tweet every once in a while. You know, maybe do a cheesy commercial for somebody. But that's really as far as we really know of what's been going on with Conor McGregor. Until the other day. Conor tweeted, taking a shot at fighters pulling out of fights. And, you know, I mean, that's if anyone's going to take a shot, Conor is the right one to take that shot. Because, I mean, to be frank, Conor's never pulled out of a fight. Conor has fought injured. So if anybody can make that claim, it can be him. And then it was reported that he actually tried to fill in in the Khabib fight. That he was going to jump in the fight on six days notice. Now, this may be a rumor. I I can't claim this stuff for sure. But from the sources I've heard, it wasn't Conor who backed out of that over the six days. I mean, it would have been a hell of a weight cut. So I don't know if it would have been, you know... At the weight class that the fight was supposed to be at, it might have been a catch weight. I don't know how it would have worked out, but Connor usually walks around when he's not fighting at about 190 pounds. So that'd be almost a 50-pound cut if he was going to fight in six days. So that'd be a little extreme. But I guess what officially nicks the idea was Dana White. From what I've heard, Dana did not want this fight to happen because he was only going to have six days to promote it. Now, you know, that might look smart on a business standpoint. You know, obviously a big draw like Conor McGregor, you're going to want time to really, you know, sell this fight. But Conor has become such a social media darling. I guess is the best way you can put it. Everyone knows who Conor McGregor is. People who don't even watch fighting can look at that guy and make the joke, who the fuck is this guy? You know what I mean? Like, anybody can do that. Connor has just made himself so known in the all of pop culture, social media, everything. Everyone knows who Conor McGregor is at this point. So, personally, I think 
Six days, six days notice. I don't even think that would matter. I think pay-per-view buys would skyrocket. You know, Dana might not get the number that he wants of a Conor McGregor bout. But anything that Dana would pay Conor, he would easily make back. Because obviously Conor's not going to be asking for boxing numbers like he got in the Floyd fight. And to be fair, Conor didn't get anywhere near where Floyd got and, you know... Connor was probably it was probably about a 70-30 split cuz with Connor's name recogni- recognition Connor's just got to go ahead and accept that he's never going to get that kind of money again in in a UFC in a UFC octagon that's just it's never going to happen you know he may bring big buys to a UFC event but the amount of money that goes into a UFC event with the amount of fighters that has to get turned around and Uncle Dana obviously has to get paid so I just don't think that's ever going to happen. But the fact that he was willing to go out on such short notice says that Connor's itching to fight. I don't think he really cares who. I don't think he really cares when. I think Connor wants to go in there because everybody for the past seven and a half months has just been talking about how he's a paper champion, about how he won't defend his belt, about... About really anything. About just tr- completely trying to discredit Conor McGregor in any way possible. I you know, I think he's I think he's itching. He wants somebody. He wants somebody, and he wants to make an example of whoever he gets. Because there are whispers going around that Conor's just not going to be the same after the Floyd fight. Just yesterday, I was on my drive home from work, and I heard on the radio. I listened to uh, For All on the Bench on my way home. And I heard that I heard him talking about some sort of some sort of confrontation at a hotel. And then I find out that on one side of it is Khabib, who was Connor's perennial opponent if he would have filled in for the fight. And the other guy was Connor's best friend, Artem Lobov. I think that is just the biggest indication right there, especially if Khabib wins on Saturday, of exactly who Connor is going to be fighting. I, I, it's, I think that's that's dead set. It's going to be Connor and Khabib, especially if Khabib wins. I think Khabib will win personally with how I feel about Khabib, and that's going to be Connor's first fight back. They're going to promote the hell out of it. I could see it happening in about three months after this fight. So expect a Conor McGregor fight in the summer. And I think I think right now, easy one, you know, if Khabib loses, which I don't think he will, then it'll, you know, maybe make things a little different. Conor would have to get a little bit of a bigger payday if he's going to walk in with somebody who just lost. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, it just, it would, I that's my first indication I think it would. And that can obviously change. You know, somebody could come out, call out, McGregor, you know, Connor tomorrow and Connor decides he wants to fight him. You know, that's just, we haven't heard from Connor for so long and now all of this is happening so quick. So it's really hard to dictate what's going to happen and what's not. It's just, it's so nice to have Connor back in the UFC game and talking shit to fighters and just obviously ready to go back in the octagon because that's what, that's what UFC is really missing right now. UFC is missing that top draw. Hell, 
if Brock Lesnar came back to UFC today, it'd be the biggest buy that they've had in well over a year of UFC fights, that is, that doesn't have Conor McGregor on it. You know, that's that's just that just goes to show like where the UFC is right now. Um, especially with John Jones being gone. That was that's a massive loss. Cause say what you want about John Jones, everybody will pay to watch it. I will. I love watching John Jones fight. Um you could say say what you want about his character. You could say what you want about uh performance enhancing drugs. John, anytime you watch a Johnny Bones fight, it's gonna be entertaining. There's a pretty damn good chance you're gonna he's gonna knock whoever he's fighting out, or he's gonna just absolutely beat the piss out of him for five rounds. You know, and the same same for Connor. You know, Connor's either gonna knock you out or he's gonna beat the living piss out of you. He's you're not gonna knock him out. And the only weakness we've really seen on him is him gassing early in fights, not taking people seriously. That's what happened in the Nate Diaz the first Nate Diaz fight. He walked into that fight not taking it seriously, and he lost. Because you know what? The Diaz brothers are pretty mean motherfuckers, and they know what they're doing in an octagon. So that's that's my biggest worry if uh, when Conor comes back to fight Khabib. I mean, yeah, he's got to have all the confidence in the world. He's going to talk shit to Khabib to get him off his game. And, if I mean, if Khabib's already fighting with one of his best, you know, Conor's best friend in hotel lobbies when he's got a fight in six days... Connor is already firmly in his head. And he's barely even said a word. So, I'm just I'm really excited. Um it's been a while since I've been excited about, you know, the UFC. I mean, besides the fact I really don't care for Dana White, but I feel like that's fairly documented at this point. There's just there hasn't been fights that draw me. There hasn't been fights to make me watch. The last MMA fight I was excited for, I mean, uh, besides watching Khabib, which I'm actually really excited to watch on Saturday if I get a chance, um, was Bellator with the heavyweight tournament. You know, the Chael Sun, you know, Rampage Jackson fight. That was I was pretty into that. Uh, Frank Mir is over there now. You know, I mean, it's older guys, but they're draws. You know, that's kind of where UFC is a little bit like WWE. Or MMA, I guess I should say, is a little bit like WWE. is because you need a draw. You know, you can have great fighters who will wrestle their way to a three-round victory, five-round victory, and, you know, technically, te- completely technically sound, some great jiu-jitsu, some great grappling, everything like that, but that's not a draw. That does not draw the casual fan. That will draw somebody like me. Like, man, I love watching a Brazilian jiu-jitsu just clinic. Damian Maia is awesome to watch because the dude is just a legend of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The Diaz brothers, too. I mean, the Diaz brothers will brawl, but even when they have, even when they have somebody in the rubber guard, ninety percent of ninety percent of the fight, it's entertaining as hell to me. But to the casual fan, that's that's just not going to appeal, you know. The casual fans want knockouts. They want exciting fights. They want two guys with fucked up faces at the end of a fight. And a lot of what we have in UFC right now just doesn't, you know, it doesn't cut the mustard. It's as simple as that. A lot of great athletes. A lot of great fighters, still, in my opinion. I like, you know, I still watch a lot of MMA and UFC and stuff like that. But it's, there is not any fighters or their pay-per-views that they've had since Conor left and since John Jones left that I would bother even considering buying. And that's where it is. I'd rather wait 
and watch it on TV in a month or two or watch it on Facebook eventually or something like that. You know what I mean? I just would prefer to wait on something like that. It's not something that I feel like I'm missing if I don't watch it live. And that's the, that's UFC's biggest problem, you know, bottom line. Now let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind anytime you talk about the Milwaukee Bucks is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis Antetokounmpo is an absolute star. He is going to be an absolute star in this league. There's never been any doubt about that. You know, he, you know, and he has a clutch gene. There's a lot of games where, you know, he is that man. He's that guy taking the final shot and he hits those final shots. Um, He's not so much a jump shooter yet, but that can develop over time like it does with a lot of great players. You know, Giannis is somebody who, you know, it's a he's a transcendent talent. And, you know, that's something that people use kind of loosely these days. But Giannis, Giannis does a little bit of everything. But what I have to say about the Milwaukee Bucks doesn't really so much pertain to Giannis Antetokounmpo because he's doing everything he possibly can to get the Milwaukee Bucks wins. And he is. He is in some way responsible for almost every single Milwaukee Bucks win this year and over the past few years. And... I think that's the real problem with the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Um, you know, you have Chris Middleton, you have Chris Middleton going off having a great year, and you have Eric Bledsoe putting up reasonable numbers at the point guard position. You know, good scorer, not so much a defender, but I mean, not having not having Brogdon all year has really hurt the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, he really is supposed to be that point guard of the future. He's supposed to be the guy. Um, I find it interesting, honestly, that the Milwaukee, you know, Bucks fans have brought him up a lot when they talk about the struggles that the Bucks have had this season. Because I remember before the year even started, everyone was talking about, you know, trading Brogdon, you know, getting what you can for him. Oh, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but you know, that's that's whatever. But this has nothing to do. Giannis. This has nothing to do with Chris Middleton. This has nothing to do with Eric Bledsoe. This has nothing to do with Michael Brockton. The Milwaukee Bucks, as it sits right now, are forty-two and thirty-six. And I'd technically they haven't, but I'd say they have the AC locked up. Detroit's. I don't think Detroit's going to get it. Detroit has completely fell apart. But that should surprise absolutely nobody. But what I want to talk about is the Milwaukee Bucks should be a far better team than this. They should have, you know, with a player like Giannis, you don't need all-star players around him for the team to succeed. You don't need all-star players around him for the team to be in the top four seed in the East because that's where the Bucks should be, honestly. With the, you know, what they have what they had on their roster at the beginning of the year, the Milwaukee Bucks easily should be in the top four in the East. But somewhere, somewhere along the line, you know, yeah, and a lot of people will say Jason Kidd, you know, and there are some people who are now saying uh, Joe Pr- Joe Prunty. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, the Milwaukee the Milwaukee Bucks coaching completely lost this team. Um, it was very telling when Giannis spoke so loudly after Jason Kidd was fired. I I I thought as soon as I heard that, you know, when I first heard that Jason Kidd got fired, he was twenty three and twenty two. All right, whatever. 
I wasn't really surprised. I thought it was going to happen way sooner. I'm surprised that the Bucks, you know, t- did so much to get Jason Kidd because I didn't think Jason really did anything special with the with the Bucks either or the uh, the Nets. I, I I never saw it. I never saw what was really so great of Jason Kidd as a coach. But I will give him one thing: he did relate to his players because obviously he lived that life. But. He never got the most out of him, and sometimes when you're when you're a former player, you know it could go one of two ways: either you're going to demand respect in the locker room because that's what you always did over your career, or you're going to be friends with everybody and nobody's going to really take you seriously when you try getting on them. They're going to be like, "Okay, well, Jason, you know, Jason Kidd's my dude. I'm, he's he's not going to be mad at me if I fuck up, you know." And that's 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 the tension. That's you know, tension is always known as a bad thing when it comes to coaching and players, coaches and players. You know, as soon as you hear there's tension, it's like, oh, no, that's bad. That's everything. Tension between coaches and players keeps players on edge enough that every time they go out there and try to play, they're going to give their all. And I don't think that's something that Jason Kidd ever had. He never gave those players tensions. And if he did have any problem with a player, I feel like he just kind of ostracized him instead of trying to really get down and fixing the issue. Because your players need your players need to get along with you, obviously. But there needs to be that tension that coach is going to be really fucking pissed off at me if I screw up. And I just I don't think there was ever that I don't think that were that was ever there with Jason Kidd. Now, Joe Prunty, I don't think he's necessarily been the answer either. And while I agreed with the Jason Kidd firing, I'm surprised they just didn't let it ride out, especially because he was just slightly over 500. Everybody thought he was starting to lose control of the team, but even with all the flaws I just said, I feel like they should have let it, let it ride out. Because Joe Prutney hasn't really done anything particularly great with the team. Um, if I remember correctly, even after they fired Jason Kidd, the Bucks continued to struggle on the line that they were struggling. You know, and sometimes that happens with teams. Sometimes that happens with teams that have a lot of talent. Sometimes there's just simply bad stretches of basketball. And I don't think that can all be put on Jason Kidd. Joe Prudney, I hey, I give him props. He jumped into a hostile situation and he's being serviceable. But when you have a team that's on their way to the playoffs, you don't want a coach that's serviceable. You want a coach that's getting on guys. You want a coach that's, you know, getting the most out of all their players, and they're not. There is some serious accountability issues on the Milwaukee Bucks right now. After after the Bucks lost to the Nuggets the other night, um, I don't know if anybody saw or heard about this. At, after the loss, maybe like 20 minutes after the game, Jabari Parker's laughing at his locker, just having a good time because Jabari had a good night. Now, I love Jabari Parker. I loved him at Duke. I've always been a big Jabari Parker fan. I think he's going to get a nice chunk of money in free agency. But if I'm the Bucks and I see that kind of behavior after a loss, I'm really thinking twice about, about signing him to that money. And what has Jabari really done since he's been back? He's had a couple good nights, but he hasn't like set the world on fire or anything. And he's going to go out there and try to demand max money this offseason? That's going to be an interesting situation moving forward. But 
do the Bucks really have all that much money to spend? And, you know, that brings me to that next point. Matthew Delavandova is averaging about three points a game this year. He's getting $10 million this year. Tony Snell averaging about seven. Seven points a game. Great three-point shooter. $10.6 million this year. And that contract's only going up every single year. I, I think it's around twelve next year. And then this is, this might be the worst one out there. John Henson, who has just been non-existent essentially this season, in my opinion. Eleven and a half million this year. So that right there, that is about thirty-one million dollars of players who are just doing nothing. We're playing a couple minutes a game. Tony Snell had a couple decent games. Delvin Dova maybe started a few games here and there. But for those players to be getting ten plus million dollars for what they're contributing to the team right now, those are players that could either be young players coming up and working their way on on a bench squad, you know, getting a couple minutes a game, giving serviceable defense, you know, stuff like that. Those could be young players developing in the Bucks system. You know, obviously you have your starters set, but they're not, that's, they're aging players. They're not necessarily old, but they're at this point in their careers to be only, you know, scoring what they're scoring and playing the minutes that they're playing. They're never going to, they're never going to get more minutes. Matthew Delvendova is never going to start on an NBA roster again. Tony Snell, I, I, as a Bulls fan, I'm stunned. The Bucks paid him as much as they did because I never thought Tony Snow was anything special. Jimmy Butler just took that job from him because it was there to be taken. John Henson, you know, I didn't really understand that contract when you guys paid him. Uh, I would have let John walk, but I guess, I guess I don't really totally. Uh, I don't. There's just a lot of things I just don't understand what the Milwaukee Bucks doing. You shed those three contracts, you have a nice chunk of money to go get a player to match up with Giannis. Not a player that's gonna put up the same amount of production. Not a player that's you know gonna be a physical freak or anything like that. Just a serviceable player, even if it's somebody coming off the bench, just being a huge impact player. That's exactly what that's what you could go get with that money. And, you know, a lot of people were talking last year about how Thon Maker was going to be, you know, this great guy coming off the bench, be a perennial starter. What has Thon done this year? Nothing. Thon's been on a minute restriction. Even when Thon's in the game, he doesn't make an impact. He is just, he has taken a massive step back. I think if you're going to be disappointed by anybody on the Bucks roster this year, be disappointed in Don Maker. Don's a great guy. All these guys that I talk about on here are great guys. Jason Kidd, eh. He has his history, but I'm not going to get into that. But Don Maker, wow. Like, I was really excited about Don Maker after how he played last year. I was. I, I think anybody who watched Bucks basketball had a right to be excited about Don Maker. But I just haven't seen it. And that's a big part of your bench that... It's just essentially a hole right now. I mean, it's a hole with Delhi. It's a hole with Snell. It's a hole with John John Henson. I just that's that's four players right there. I mean, and then you add those four players to somebody like Jabari Parker, who doesn't even care, you know, when the team's losing. 
there's just there's a lot of issues with the Milwaukee Bucks. I think this offseason, you know, just going on a quick run through, I think this offseason they need to get rid of some of those contracts in any way possible. Um, do you, the Jabari Parker, I would not pay Jabari max money from what he's shown this year when he's been healthy and the fact that he's not proven that he can be healthy. And they really they need to find an impact player to bring around Giannis or somebody that can make an impact when Giannis is not on the floor. Because Giannis isn't going to be playing 38 minutes forever. He's a big body. He's a freak athlete. But look, even LeBron doesn't play 38 minutes a game all year. You need somebody who can come in on a night where Giannis isn't playing a lot of minutes because you want him to rest up for the playoffs and be able to make an impact, to be able to take over the game. And that's just that hasn't happened. Chris Middleton's the closest thing to that, and Chris isn't that guy. Chris is a great player, but he's not going to be that guy. I also think that the uh, Milwaukee Bucks really need to take a hard look at some head coaches this offseason. Um, obvious names that have been said a million times around me by Bucks fans. Uh, Dave Fisdale. I think that'd be a good sign. I think that'd be a good pickup. I think him working with Giannis would be great. Jeff Van Gundy, he's proven to be a productive coach in the past. He knows the game of basketball like the back of his hand. Now, another one. Another one a lot of people haven't been talking about. I think is really interesting. I think it's something that the Bucks should really take into consideration. And that's Rick Patino. I you know, say what you want about everything that was going on at Louisville and whatever might happen. I guarantee you the Bucks are keeping an eye on that whole situation. Because Rick Pitino knows basketball. Rick Pitino is is a college basketball legend as a coach. And, you know, no amount of scandal is ever going to change that. And honestly, if Rick Pitino does what he was doing in college in the NBA, he's everybody's favorite coach. <laughs> I, I guarantee that, and it's not illegal for what he would be doing. I mean, getting a little hairy, you know, it gets a little hairy when it comes to the women, but I think Rick Pitino would be great in the NBA, and I'm surprised he never took that leap forward. But that's just a Bulls fan talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> um, I think there's just a, there's so much talent there, and I think something needs to be done. Either you guys are going to upgrade quickly, in this next offseason, or you guys are going to blow it up and start building around Giannis in really the last chance you have to build around him before he starts bugging about a contract or, you know, moves on. Because after we've seen the LeBron situation, after we've seen the Kevin Durant situation, anything can happen. I like Giannis. I don't think he would do something like that, but you got to be prepared. Okay, guys, time for the final rant of the day. Baker Mayfield. What kind of quarterback is Baker Mayfield, really? What kind of quarterback can Baker Mayfield be in the NFL? Like, who who is honestly a strong comparison to somebody like Baker Mayfield besides Johnny Manziel? And, you know, having Johnny Manziel as that one guy that everyone brings up or thinks about the second they say Baker Mayfield is not not something good. Every NFL GM is thinking about it. Every NFL GM is seeing it. 
And you know what? Baker Mayfield has done nothing to distance himself from those comparisons. And the worst part is, talent-wise, I think Johnny Manziel was the better quarterback coming out. So that's even worse. All these things are just looking really bad on Baker Mayfield. Everybody, you know, anybody that's watched him knows the guy can play. The guy is a gamer. The guy is emotional. He's going to give everything he has on that football field. But it's what he's doing when he's not on that football field. That's just, that's what gets everybody. That's why NFL GMs are so worried. And personality-wise, they see Johnny Manziel. They do. And don't get me wrong. If anybody is behind Johnny Manziel to get a comeback in the NFL, it's me. I I think Johnny made a lot of mistakes when he was young. I think he felt re- I think he was really entitled. I think he felt because he came from a rich family, he could do whatever he wanted. Um I just don't think he was prepared for that NFL lifestyle. And that's a lot how I feel about Baker Mayfield. Now, before I get into the whole obvious personality deal, let's talk about the two two players' college careers. You know, two Heisman winners. Obviously, Baker plays a lot like Johnny did. But, you know, look at look at the teams that both teams have played for. You know, Johnny Manziel played at a Texas A&M team that really hadn't done anything before he got there. The second Johnny walked onto that campus, he was the guy. He was playing in an air raid offense. Johnny's best suited when he's throwing about 40 times a game. You know, he's better suited playing out of the shotgun. He's a mobile quarterback. He can make plays happen with his feet. Just like Baker Mayfield. But while he had an offense that was like built built for him to work in, Johnny didn't have the better coaching. Baker Mayfield had the better coaching. He had Bob Stoops. He got Bob Stoops handpicked replacement after he retired. And Bob Stoops is a legend in Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley, offensive coordinator. Builds the entire offense behind Baker Mayfield. Baker just goes off. Baker does things that, you know, most play most fans of Oklahoma haven't seen in a long time. But I, I still believe Johnny was better. Baker has more talent to work around. Baker has better coaching around him. You know, Oklahoma, that's a team that's looked at on paper before every single season that's almost always ranked in the top 25, that's almost always looked at as a possible contender for the national title. What is Texas A&M without Johnny Manziel? Texas A&M hasn't won a national championship since, I think it's 1939, an outrageous amount of time. You know, they they got some conference championships here and there. They have some NFL players. You know, obviously, Miles Garrett was the number one pick last year. Uh, Mike Evans, obvious monster down in Tampa Bay. But it's not, you wouldn't call it a football factory. You wouldn't call it somebody where that gets NFL caliber talent coming out of every class. You wouldn't call it somewhere that's necessarily gotten great coaching in the past. You know, there's a reason why they just threw Jimbo Fisher $70 million to come from Florida State because 
Texas A&M doesn't really have a history of good coaching. They want that guy. So Baker got a tut, got a taste of both Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley. Two two great coaches in a great program that's consistently contending. That's why I feel like Baker has been a little bit of an inflated prospect. You know, everybody looks at the great things he does. Social media loves the way he talks on the football field and what he does and all that shit. That's not important. That's not what NFL teams are looking for. And there are draft, there are scouts hired strictly to watch Baker Mayfield highlights every single day because their team is thinking about drafting him. And what they're going to see is a poor man's Johnny Manziel. Baker can run. Baker can make passes. Baker can make plays with his feet. He has all the same problems that Johnny Manziel had, though. So when it comes from a talent standpoint, I think Johnny did more with less. I don't think there's a huge difference in talent, but I feel like Baker's inflated. Anyway, let's not some let's get off the talent thing. Let's talk more about the mind of Baker Mayfield. In case you didn't know, Baker Mayfield is doing a video documentary of his entire draft process. Completely taking his eye off the prize. He's paying more attention of making making a show. He probably watched Tom versus Time and thinks he's important enough to get a TV show right off the bat. Baker. This is not the time or place. NFL teams are going to want you to go into this season humble. I know that's a, I know that's a hard concept. But you want your quarterback to have an arrogance about him, but to be humble. They want Baker Mayfield to go into training camp, to go into mini camp, to go in off-season workouts humble. They want him to go in there ready to be coached. They want him to go in there ready to be molded. Not to be the quarterback that Baker Mayfield wants to be, but to be the quarterback that works in the NFL. Johnny Manziel didn't want to do that. Johnny Manziel was the quarterback he was coming out of college, and he wasn't going to let anybody change that. And I see that a lot with Baker. Baker is ready to be the quarterback he wants to be. And you know what? That's fine. If you're talented enough, if you're good enough, that's fine. But when you have, that's, that's the first strike. But we can live with one strike. The second strike, let's say, let, let's go hypothetical here. Let's go completely extreme, completely crazy with this. Let's say Baker, Baker Mayfield gets drafted his rookie year, absolutely lights it up, takes his team to the Super Bowl and wins it. Completely, completely hypothetical, but you know, let's just go crazy with it. What is Baker going to do that offseason? That's the biggest question every NFL GM should be asking themselves if they're considering Baker Mayfield. If best case scenario, Baker leads our team to the Super Bowl. What is he going to do in the offseason after the Super Bowl? Let's look at what let's look at what a Tom Brady does after a Super Bowl win. He goes out, he parties with his teammates for a night, you know, maybe parties a couple more nights, you know, low key. 
And then he goes back in the film room, starts watching film, and starts preparing for next year. He starts working on his body to survive another NFL season. To prolong his career as long as humanly possible. And you know what? That's, that's probably what Matt Ryan did after he lost his Super Bowl. Immediately went in the film room. Immediately looked at all of his flaws. Looked at how he can get better. All these, all the great quarterbacks do this. Aaron Rodgers, I guarantee, does it after every playoff loss. I think he takes a little time to unwind. You know, does stuff with his personal life, which is completely reasonable. And then he's in that film room. He's looking at every single spot where he can improve. Does anybody really think that's what Baker Mayfield is going to do if he wins the Super Bowl? Or if he even makes the playoffs? He is going to go into that offseason as feeling like he's the hottest shit ever. He's going to think... Everything he does is perfect. He's the, he's not gonna want to change a thing, because that's what Baker that's what Baker always thought he was at Oklahoma. He thought he was the perfect quarterback. He thought when people thought that there was any chance he wasn't gonna win the Heisman, that they're nuts. He legitimately thought he was the best player in college football last year. He probably thought he, he probably thinks he's one of the best college football players of all time. That's not the mentality an NFL GM wants. Because I said what Tom would do. I said what Matt would do. I said what Aaron would do. Here's what Baker would do. Baker would go party his ass off. And rightfully so. That first week after you win a Super Bowl, party your ass off. Party your ass off on the parade. But this is where we have to start thinking about those comparisons we made before the draft. Because then we start thinking, what would Johnny Manziel do in that situation? Party, party, party. Immediately going to think you're the best thing since sliced bread. You are. You just won a Super Bowl. You were the Super Bowl MVP. Baker's not going to go watch film. Baker's going to go party. He's going to go make appearances. He's going to go to Disney World and get drunk off his ass and go party with Mickey. But I just don't see that thing in him I don't see that part of Baker Mayfield that's just gonna shut up that's just gonna chill out with social media who's just gonna go engulf himself in an NFL playbook gonna go engulf himself in watching film gonna actually allow himself to criticize be criticized and be coached to be better because I feel like Baker thinks he has it already figured out and you know what if he does That's great. Baker will have a great NFL career. But I don't think that's the case. I think Baker, he has all the talent in the world. He has all the potential in the world. All the same things we said about Johnny Manziel is what we're saying about Baker Mayfield. And I feel like we're just going to have to watch it all over again. And it's really sad. Because Baker Mayfield... If he did that, if he took the dedication to get out of the party scene, to stop caring about what everybody thinks about him, he would be such a good quarterback. He'd be a great quarterback. If he took the time in the offseason to watch all that film, if he allowed himself to be criticized 
and grow as a quarterback. I'm telling you, man, if one some of these NFL quarterback coaches or offensive quarter, coordinators get a hand on this guy and get him to be coachable and get him to really you know, start from scratch from what he was and become that much better of a player because he has the talent. It's just everything else needs to be there for him to be the legitimate face of a franchise. I'm rooting for Baker. I hope Baker does great things in this league. I hope he sets the, I hope he does set the world on fire. But that's going to be the moment that we're really going to know who Baker Mayfield is. And that's what NFL GMs really need to consider. You can't go into draft day thinking you're hitting a home run the second you draft Baker Mayfield. Be excited. You know, get all the fans excited about it. Get your coaching staff excited about it. But remember in the back of your head what would Baker do? All right, guys, that's the podcast for tonight, for today. Um, have a lot more good stuff coming up forward. Um, I'm going to have some episodes completely dedicated to the NFL draft. Um, I'm going to have some great personalities coming up, coming up on the show. Uh, some guys I really trust their sports opinions. I think you guys are really going to get a kick out of it. Um, I got a couple special shows coming up as well. I'm going to be doing a full break uh, breakdown of the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs. I might just end up making that one episode and go half on half. But, yeah, uh, a lot of good stuff moving forward. Anyway, guys, this has been the Sports Guy with Duke Coughlin. You have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>